Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about everything real estate for the real estate interested. My name is Peter Edmonds, and I'm a member of the team here at Rennie. We're a real estate company of 300 people advising buyers and sellers from first-time condo purchasers to large-scale developers so they can make smart and informed real estate decisions. We made this podcast as a concise and consumable way to share our passion for homes, housing, community, and cities. We hope that this will spark the same curiosity in you that we have for everything real estate. All of the documents and links mentioned in this podcast are available on our website at rennie.com. This is a special edition of the Rennie podcast. Twice a year, the intelligence team takes a look at the longer view and publishes the Rennie landscape aptly described as a semi-annual publication that tracks the myriad macroeconomic factors that directly and indirectly affect Metro Vancouver's housing market. You can find the Rennie landscape at intelligence.rennie.com or go to rennie.com and click on the intelligence tab and you can see it there. Uh, It'll also be promoted on all of our social channels. It's it's the red book uh, for those that know it and and have received it in its print form before. It's all digital uh, in this edition. So you can grab it there. It's available for free and we can push it out to you as well if you like, if you want to sign up for intelligence updates so you can get it before anyone else does uh, by going to the intelligence section of the rennie.com website. Before we get started today, I did want to acknowledge that the Rennie podcast would not be possible without the hard and thoughtful work of our uh, producer extraordinaire, Jenny Sebastian. Jenny, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Peter? Excellent. Jenny helps us manage the project of getting the podcast together and making this happen from from an idea all the way to uh, how it comes through to you. Jenny, uh, what's it been like to run through uh, a project like this and do something that you've never done before and, and quite frankly, to hit it out of the ballpark with the first go? Um, I would have to say it's been a great experience. This is something that, you know, we've been talking about doing for quite a while. And so it's great to see it come to fruition and, you know, not without its challenges, but it's been a, yeah, it's been a fun experience and I'm glad that I got to see it launch. Excellent. That's great. Well, and Jenny, you're going to be taking uh, a bit of a break. You've got a side project on the go. Is that right? I do. In a couple of weeks, I'll be heading off on mat leave. Fantastic. We're super excited for you. We're really grateful for for all of your hard work. This would not exist without you. It wouldn't be what it is without you. And it wouldn't be uh, nearly as fun to not only to, to, to participate in, but also to listen to. I know the feedback we've been getting from the team and from people outside um, the building has been fantastic. So thank you so much. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true too. So taking over for Jenny in the pr- production side of things is Nadia Ma. Nadia, how are you? I'm well. Thanks, Peter. Another brilliant member of our brand team, Nadia, has helped our web presence be what it is. Nadia is going to certainly bring in, uh, you know, that level of high quality information and that we offer to people, that concise and approachable element of things. Are you excited for, uh, for, for taking over for Jenny? Those are big boots to fill. Definitely big boots to fill, but I am very excited to take over and learn what podcasting is about. You're going to do great. So Ryan Berlin, senior economist with the Rennie Intelligence team, is joining us today. Ryan, hello. How's fall been going so far? Hey, Peter. It has been a very busy fall, <laughs> uh, professionally and personally. Yeah. You know, with the kids going back to school now, it's it's a bit of a different experience. Um, much improved on what we were what we were doing in the spring, trying to um, 
educate from home via Zoom. I think we all grew a little bit tired of that, as did the teachers who did a phenomenal job, actually, in my opinion. So the Rennie landscape, um, I think we've done um, six editions now. Uh, and uh, so, t- so tell me, Ryan, what made you come up with this publication? Because, you know, you're spending a lot of time looking at the daily and the monthly and what's immediate. And this is much more sort of the quarterly and the annual uh, stats that you're looking at and reporting on and, 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 and generating insights on. For sure. Yeah, that's there are two elements to it, I think, that differentiate it from some of the other reports that we typically produce and that the industry typically produces. <clears throat> Certainly, there's that temporal component where... I think in the real estate industry, I'll use I'll use the term we and us tend to focus on higher frequency data, like you said, like the daily data. You know, tell me what happened in the market yesterday and what's happening today is re- those are relevant questions that we get asked all the time because fair enough, conditions change fairly quickly, and um, so we do look at those things. Um, I think sometimes at the expense of looking at the longer term and considering. Um, you know, what is the trend versus what is the short-term noise? And and where should we be making decisions on data, be it short-term data or longer-term data? And I think the what the landscape does is, as you say, focus on bigger things. Um, like over, what? Like what kind of, what kind of things? Bigger macroeconomic at? and demographic um, trends. So the, this this edition's landscape is it really tells a story of the magnitude of change, um, but inside of that, I mean, that could be the, the that screaming headline. But at the same time, there's a lot of nuance in there that we're going to sort of dig into that sort of explains a story about uh, how the recovery is going to look. For sure, there is, and I think there's just there has been a lot of noise, a lot of perspectives. Things have changed so quickly over the past six months. I mean, where did the past six months go? Mm -hmm. And so, what the landscape is meant to do now is just sort of take stock of the last six months. It's a good time to say, okay, what have we just been through? What do we think matters? Um, And what does it all mean for where we're going? So, Ryan, as with any Rennie podcast, we focus on three key insights. And the first insight is that the unique nature of the Great Suppression has shielded the for sale housing market from the worst of the downturn. So maybe you could go into what that's uh, what that's about. We are most definitely in the midst of a recession and the deepest recession we've seen since the Great Depression in the early 1930s. And that's not hyperbole. In 2008, 2009, Uh, we experienced the Great Recession. That was a financial crisis that was very painful. We had an acute downturn in economic activity. It lasted about nine months, the pain, and the recovery took a long time after that. And, you know, we had thought and hoped that that would be the worst downturn of for this generation. Um, Lo and behold, 12 years later, for totally different reasons, um, we are now going through another down, a health-led um, uh, pandemic-led downturn that we're calling the Great Suppression because what we've engaged in is basically a willful shutdown of our economy to preserve health and life. So it's actually, the, the consequences of that have been unique in that in a typical recession, we see people in all kinds of jobs, all ages, full-time, part-time, losing um falling out of employment, losing their job. And then that has ramifications for virtually all sectors of the economy. This great suppression has been unique in that the typical 
person who has lost their job is someone under the age of 30 who's working part-time in hospitality. So about half of the job losses have been amongst people here in British Columbia have been uh, amongst people under the age of 30. Um, and over half of the job losses have been in part-time work. And you have to acknowledge that going into this downturn, only maybe one out of every five jobs was part-time. So the, the, the losses have really been shouldered by, by that part-time sector, whereas back in 08, 09, it was full-time employment that led the downturn. And then finally, what we're seeing is those jobs being lost, you know, naturally in places that we have shut down and people don't want to, you know, uh, frequent as much. And that's cafes, bars, restaurants, hotels. So looking at that profile of the typical person who's lost their job, they aren't the typical homeowner or home buyer. But this, I mean, this, this, uh, this outcome has uh, massive implications in terms of exacerbating inequality. And I think you know, you, you, the whole team has been focusing, um, our clients' attention, our, our advisors' attention and our, 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 our buyers' attention on, um, some of the long-term ramifications of this. And, and that's something we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on. Absolutely. I, there is a great risk here of creating a new class of haves and have nots coming out of this, depending how we manage our way through what remains of the crisis. We are not, <laughs> through this by any stretch of the imagination. And I do think it will shape macroeconomic policy and social policy on the part of our federal government and provincial governments across the country coming out of this. In the, for the here and now, the, the federal government, to their credit, <clears throat> was very swift uh, and impactful in implementing um, fiscal support. So essentially, you know, subsidizing households and businesses, landlords, tenants, virtually everybody so that we could get through what is undeniably a transitory period that we will get through. We just don't know when, but we know we will. So I think from the, the perspective of government support, that that is not going to be what 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 leads to you know any change in inequality uh, for the negative. Um, but I do think that there is um, a concern that coming out of this with the for sale market, having not a housing market having not been um, impacted negatively in terms of values or equity or activity in general, um, that um, if you already weren't in real estate as an owner or you weren't already actively looking, it might be a little bit harder to participate in the housing market um, in the medium term. I think where you were going before I sort of coasted us off there, my apologies, was that the, the, the job loss that we've seen being focused in the hospitality sectors in a particular demographic is not necessarily, they're not necessarily participants in the housing market. Is that right? The typical person who's lost their job during the Great Suppression is not um, your typical homeowner or home buyer. Um, and they're younger, they're working part-time, you know, many are living at home, many, many are renting. So, you know, we have seen a disproportionate impact on the rental market. Um, and, you know, we've seen actually increasing vacancy rates, which we all know in Metro Vancouver, ain't a bad thing. When we talk about market balance, given how low that they were going into um, the Great Suppression. Um, but we look on the other side of it on the for sale side. And the fact that stock markets have been very, very resilient, where a lot of people might have a future down payment tied up. Um, and the fact that values within the real estate market have been resilient as well means that if you, um, and, and, and the fact that 
most homeowners who were employed going into the Great Depression are still employed in some form. Um, it means that there is all the factors that, that most directly impact um, the ownership market um, are, are they're very, very similar to where they were before the Great Depression started. Well, thanks, Ryan. Th- this brings us to our next insight, which is that the pandemic has certainly shifted home buyer preferences. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean on the whole? I mean, we talked about it in the in a recent intelligence podcast with people going to ground oriented housing. But what does it mean in the longer term? That's a great question. I mean, that is the million dollar question. Um, and it is my view that the shift in um, the composition of housing that is being purchased right now um, clearly is in response to concerns people have around the pandemic and their health and their space. And I'll get into that in a moment. Um, but I do think that the pendulum has swung somewhat to one side and we'll see buying patterns normalize in the next year as the economy gets back to its pre-pandemic level and the pandemic itself is brought under control. So when that is, I can't say, but when all of that happens and we get back to whatever we were used to before the pandemic, I think we'll see a shift back to, to normal purchasing patterns. And what you're talking about is the pendulum having swung towards that ground oriented, uh, larger space. And, uh, and, and you, and you're thinking normal is somewhere in the middle where, you know, uh, multifamily is consumed at the same, uh, or similar rates to the uh, ground oriented housing. Is that right? Sort of. Yeah. So, I mean, typically in our market, um, we see more ground oriented homes transact than condos. Um, so we're talking detached and townhomes, anything with a, with a ground level entrance, so no, it's own private entrance where you don't, you don't share an entrance, a lobby, a corridor to get to your home. Like you would in a condo, like in a, whether it's a three-story walk up or a, or a 40 story tower downtown, but we've seen, uh, a shift even more so towards townhome and detached purchases. Um, and it, you know, intuitively makes a lot of sense as people are, um, you know, looking for more indoor space, more separation from family. They're looking for uh, differently demised space, which that's for that home office effect, right? Like you're home- <laughs> reflecting on, uh, you, you know, you having to, you, you needed a schoolroom and a home office at the same time. That's absolutely right. So just like, you know, coming back to condo as well, I think if, if COVID's taught us anything and, and if you teach us anything is that, yes, we react to the situation as humans in the near term. Uh, immediately. And I think the response to COVID was um, with a lot of fear. There's a lot of unknowns inside of there. Now that we know more, I think, you know, especially coming to condo, there was sort of a flight away from the condo product, although we saw tons of activity in the home buying uh, in the condo sector, but relative to that ground oriented, larger format housing, um, pe- people have sort of moved away from condo. Absolutely. Uh, in relative terms, as you say, there has been a movement towards those ground oriented homes. And also, as you say, condos still on their own have been selling at a greater rate than they have um, in many, many years. I think there is a a tendency to react. As you say, there's a a human tendency to react to these situations um, 
when there was a, a dramatic change in circumstance. I look back to 9-11. I was reading an article the other day, just going through the archives, um, where a question was asked on September 17th, 2001, who will ever again feel safe and comfortable working 110 stories above the ground or 60 stories or even 27? Well, it turns out, well, pretty much everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And, and, and I think, I think it, it, but that speaks to um, the, uh, the, the reactive initial response uh, of humans and then the ad- adaptive behavioral change and certainly adaptive design change as well. And we're certainly seeing that in consulting with our, our, our clients in terms of bringing more technology and accounting for um, this as a possibility in future and accommodating for it in some of the design factors that we're looking at. And certainly, you know, there's lots of participants at, at the end user level in, in our office and in amongst our realtors as well with in the in the condo market and the behavior routines and so on uh, within condo have have certainly adapted to 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 provide a sense of normalcy in home it's just a matter of time before the market responds to 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 that i would imagine i believe so uh like you say though we're having those conversations now in real time with uh home builders with developers who uh are looking to bring new supply to the market so we won't we won't see a lot of these changes manifested into the uh, new multifamily um, homes or supply for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But the conversations are being had now, no doubt about it. So Ryan, you talk about that pendulum swing. COVID has been something that we've had to react to. As you said, the, you know, the Great Suppression is a proactive shutdown of the economy. Is this a reaction that's temporary uh, in, to- in terms of a movement towards uh, more ground-oriented and the, and the more absorption of that ground-oriented product at, at, at a higher price? Or do you think uh, it, it's indicative of a more long-term trend? Only time will tell. But my mm-hmm. feeling is that it is a reaction, but it's a very uh, real reaction. Um, and I think in many cases, what, what we're seeing is an acceleration of a progression through the housing market from one type of home to the next um, that we would have already seen. Like so many trends during COVID, when we look at the work from home trend or the bricks and mortar versus online retail spend trend, um, you know, I think that for families that were families, it could be people living alone, couples, couples with kids, it could be larger intergenerational families, anyone who is preparing to, in the next few years, find a different type of home to better suit their living situation has maybe brought that decision forward a little bit, um, hastened by the by the onset of the pandemic. So I think to the extent that that is true for some households, um, we, we absolutely will see a quote-unquote normalization of purchasing patterns um, as we move forward and as we recover from this. That brings us to our, our third insight is that interest rates are likely to remain even lower for even longer. Anyone who knows me here in this office um, knows that for years I've been saying that interest rates were going to remain low for a long time. You know, I didn't listen to you and I renewed my mortgage now, uh, within the last 12 months. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm listening intently now. Well, there's, it's one thing to, to say, it's another thing to act on it. Um, but, um, I think what we've seen during COVID is a response by, uh, led by the bank of Canada. The bank of Canada sets 
this short-term interest rate that it that it lends money to the big banks at. And going into the pandemic, it was at 1.75%, very low by historical standards, but not the lowest that we'd ever seen. Um, between February and March, they lowered it to the lowest that we've ever seen, which is 0.25%. That has the impact. What they're trying to do is stimulate the economy, right? They're trying to incentivize people to spend when they otherwise wouldn't spend, quite frankly, to borrow when they otherwise wouldn't borrow, but also to invest when they otherwise wouldn't invest. So they're trying to create a more fertile economic environment, understanding that there is a huge headwind coming at the economy uh, via the pandemic as we shut down um, much of our economy. The additional thing that the Bank of Canada has done that they've never done before is something called quantitative easing, which is a fancy way of saying that they're purchasing debt. They're purchasing longer-term government debt, which in a nutshell means that they are reducing longer-term interest rates as well. So they are what they've done is is they've made an attempt to stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates across what they call the yield curve from immediate short-term interest rates to five, 10 year and beyond uh, interest rates. In the context of housing, what's most relevant is that impacts fixed mortgage rates. So now we're seeing many, many of the, the lenders, big banks specifically, offer five-year fixed mortgage rates in and around two, 2.2%. So this these lower rates make housing uh, more affordable. If you're an existing homeowner um, and you've already purchased your home at a specified price and now you're making payments on it and uh, you're able to renew your mortgage or refinance, you're able to get a lower rate than you had before. And so that makes your payments, all else being equal, lower each month. In the short term, it also makes it a little bit easier for people who already had a down payment saved up to get into the market because they're able to qualify either for a bigger mortgage or for a mortgage at a lower rate. Understood. And with a bigger mortgage, they can have the peace of mind understanding that the the, the, the federal bank has committed to keeping the these rates low for a long time, and they've, they've outwardly said so. Is that right? Exactly. I think that's the final piece of this that's really important and that distinguishes our current environment from previous ones. Whereas... Previously, I would have been saying interest rates are going to be low because of the rate of productivity, labor productivity and economic growth and demographics. We now essentially have a policy statement from the Bank of Canada uh, confirming that they will keep interest rates low for the next two, three, four years. So the reason that matters in housing beyond what it does for the market today is that if you are a uh, purchaser, you're thinking about buying today or thinking about moving up price point wise within the market, you can be fairly confident that two, three, four years from now, the interest rate you're facing will be very similar, if not essentially the same to what you're seeing now. In the pre-sale environment, when you're a purchaser who signs a contract today to take possession of a home three to four years in the future, Again, you can be fairly confident, probably more so than ever before, that the interest rate that you will be um, offered at that time will be favorable. And then that in turn should help to support future housing supply because uh, developers and home builders have that uh, tacit assurance that there will be a market for the new homes going forward, that buyers will be able to afford new homes. 
Thanks for going through that third insight with us, Ryan. I think speaking of credit and debt, there's some other things that are covered in, in, in the landscape. And although in the credit and debt section, what you've just covered there you know, in, on interest rates um, is a really important insight, there's some other insights that come out of that credit and debt section, specifically around uh, the federal government uh, budget deficit, because, you know, we're going to have to pay for COVID at some point. And then also talking about this really interesting, there's an interesting stat on household debt as well that, that you sort of explore in there. Can you can maybe go into that a little, like just very briefly, I don't want to give away the whole landscape for everybody, but just give them a little tease about, so, you know, what what's in there in regards to household debt, because an interesting trend sort of emerged through COVID. Definitely. It's no secret that the, the federal government and, and indeed virtually all governments at all levels have taken on a lot more debt in this COVID era. But what is less reported on, and I find much more fascinating actually, is the fact that households, so individual households across Canada in aggregate are saving like never before. And when we say saving, we mean that they're not spending. So it, it, is, it is real saving, um, but it's less the act of putting money away and, and more, the, I, I think there's a degree of that occurring, uh, saving for the rainy day, especially now all of a sudden, uh, the permanence of our economic environment was maybe um, the perception of that was shaken a little bit by COVID. So I do think some people might be looking at putting a little bit more money aside for the rainy day fund or for the rainy <laughs> pandemic day fund. fund, I guess you could call it now, but there are, you know, people are certainly traveling less. I think that they're socializing, uh, outside of the home less. Um, and they're spending on, uh, I mean, we're not buying, we're not buying suits. Are we Peter no, during this period? I have some to sell if anyone's interested, <laughs> just, uh, send me, send me in a message. So as a result, where incomes have been fairly well supported overall through the pandemic, um, we have seen quite a bit less spending. And so, yeah, households, households from that perspective are, are <laughs> by that metric are healthier than they've been, um, in a long, long time. Great. So that's just one uh, really interesting uh, conversation there. I think there's a, there's a fascinating stat about uh, how much um, household uh, uh, saving has been happening uh, during this time period. I'm not going to be a spoiler on it, but... Um, you have to read the land. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> there's also some interesting uh, uh, analysis of Canadian immigration, uh, and that is has been suppressed certainly through all this in terms of uh, limited international travel, but also the, the ramifications for the immigration uh, plans and projections and the job recovery that we're going to see. And, um, and then also, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada's mandate in the long term, that's a really fascinating one. And, and as you said, you, you're, you're the interest rate guy, in terms of one of the things that you really focus on. And, and banking policy is going to certainly um, uh, be different coming out of this you're projecting. Absolutely. I think the way that we measure inflation, which is a key driver to decisions about the interest rate by the Bank of Canada, uh, will very likely change in the near term, given the changes we've seen in other countries like New Zealand, Australia, and even the United States. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for all the work you put into uh, the landscape. It's an incredibly thoughtful document. Uh, it's entertaining as well. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it, you can hear Ryan's voice speaking to you through the page. And so uh, I encourage everyone to get uh, uh, onto Rennie.com and go into the intelligence section to download the landscape. 
if you just want to get the high points, uh, we've created something uh, called the Key Insights uh, section, and you can flip all the way to the back and read a summary of those key insights if you just want the uh, the Coles notes, if you will. Um, but it's a fascinating read throughout and, and definitely worth informing, using to inform your longer view, one's longer view about everything real estate and the economy as a whole. Thanks so much, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Peter. It was fun. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production. It's recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Peter Edmonds. Thanks for listening. 